Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I say I'm starting a little series today, but this isn't necessarily something that's going to go consecutively. We'll just grab him every once in a while and insert him here and there. Ain't so much a study on the book. It's hard to study a character when a book's about a character. Okay. But it's more so about the character than it is about the book. But since he has a book, I guess it's about the book and the character. Got it? All right. Amen. So it's a little bit more about Jonah himself, uh, but we're going to look at this a little bit today. Just going to read a couple of verses to get us started here. The first two verses of the book of Jonah. Anybody familiar with the story of Jonah? Yes, Miss Addison, you will be soon. And uh, we'll, we'll see what the word of the Lord says. The Bible says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Someone probably feels like they're going back to the little Bible class right now, don't you? The son of Mittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. So we have here the, the commissioning of the man of God, the commissioning of the prophet of God uh, to do a work on God's behalf. Uh, for a city that is steeped in wickedness. And this morning, I want to talk to us a little bit today about sacred duty. Sacred duty. Amen. Would you join me right now? Ask the Lord to help us today in the next few minutes. Father, we love you this morning. We need your hand upon us today. We need you, Lord, to open our mind of our understanding. Cause us, Lord, to understand your ways. I pray, oh God, speak to us, oh Lord God, from this character, Lord Jesus, of Scripture, God, whereby we can, Lord, glean knowledge, Lord, and ways, God, to order our lives, God, or even, Lord Jesus, to, Lord God, also uh, refrain from ordering, God. We can learn both sides, Lord, God, from the different characters in your word. I pray, oh Jesus, today, God, let it find a lodging in our hearts and souls. God, will not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen and amen. And everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Sacred, sacred duty. There, uh, much of the, the book of Jonah and the character of Jonah really uh, comes to the concern of duty or his obligation uh, unto the Lord. And uh, something that uh, whenever we read the book of Jonah, we may not even look at that particular facet of Jonah's life or the book of Jonah that way. And the reason why that may typically not be the focus is because uh, people focus on, or might I even say mankind for that matter, is more interested in his rights than he is his obligations. Overall, humanity has, has been set in a pattern over generations that we are more concerned about what our right is than we are about what our duty or obligation is. Uh, you know, but from the very beginning, and I think it's important to see where, uh, as Christians or even for Jonah, where his source of obligation and source of duty came from. 
right? Uh, where, uh, that was superimposed upon him, not by society, not by friends, nor was it even by foe, but it was placed upon him by God. You know, from the very beginning, all the way back in the book of Genesis, uh, God underscored this idea of duty or this idea of obligation uh, as early as in the book of Genesis. Because before God ever mentioned uh, unto Adam the trees of the Garden of Eden that was provided for him to eat thereof except the one. And before God ever brought uh, the woman from Adam's side and then brought uh, her to him as a help meet, before God ever mentioned any of that, the Bible tells us in Genesis that he placed Adam in a garden to dress it and to keep it. In other words, God, before all of that, God gave Adam a responsibility. God gave Adam a duty. But today we've, we've somehow separated and stepped many feet, maybe even miles away from uh, the aspect of, of wanting to do the duties or responsibilities that God has ordained for our lives to, again, the fact that we would rather, we would rather fight for our rights. Happens all across the world today. People will march in the streets and they'll petition the highest courts for their rights. But there would be very few that would exert the same efforts toward their obligations. Right? Uh, that's the reason why bills go unpaid. Well, glory. That's the reason why bills go unpaid and lines are longer at the unemployment when employment is available. That's deep in it. <laughs> Amen. Because they're more willing to fight for rights than they are their duty or their obligation. Even last week, we could even go back to last week. You remember last week, the Jacob and Esau scenario? Remember Esau, in that brief little moment, he was ready to part with his birthright. But he was more eager, eager and intentional about getting his blessing. Remember? Because the difference in all of that is simply this. Duty and obligation. Because with the birthright, there were certain duties that was demanded of him that if his father were to pass away and die, then he was the primary individual to take care of the family and his mother. And so there were obligations and stuff that would be upon him being the firstborn with his birthright. But he seemed to want to just discard the birthright portion, but want to retain the blessing portion because the blessing seemed like more of a turnkey benefit for him. Right? And so uh, there's no work involved in that for him. There's no obligation. There's no effort. It just simply be and be blessed. We don't watch it sometimes. That attitude even gets into the church. Denomination does not matter. Of the bless me mentality. Right? Separate from duty and obligation. Just bless me mentality. Matter of fact, have you, ever, have you ever been in a workplace, and some of you have worked, you know, different jobs, but have you ever done something in the workplace? Maybe you're green, maybe you're new, you know, uh, the new worker in the workplace. You ever done something in the workplace only for someone to come up to you and ask, who told you to do that? If you've never been there, I have. Who told you to do that? And they want to know what you're doing, or they want to know why you're doing it the way you're doing it, Right? And the way that you were doing it or what you were doing caught their attention, so they come up to you. And so they really want to know, you know, by what authority are you doing that? It's kind of really the get at, you know. By what, who told you to do it that way? What they want to know is the source of your obligation, the source of your work, the source of your duty, right? 
And it's different from in the church, outside of the church. It's different from being a child of God and not being a child of God. Because society is very relentless about parading before us what the societal norm or the duty and the obligation of some individual in modern day society, what their duty is, you know, secure an education, get wealth, even create for yourself some authority or power or control in some way, and that is your duty or your obligation, right? But we understand as being created beings, having a designer, that we have a purpose in our lives that serves a purpose greater than ourselves. That's bigger than just our rights, right? And it all belongs to the Lord. Look at Joshua chapter number 1 and verse number 8. The Bible says this in Joshua 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have, everybody say these last two words with me, good success. God is addressing Joshua here. He is just sweeped into this position of being the leader of the nation of Israel. Moses dies before they ever entered the land of Canaan. And so that mantle from Moses has been passed to Joshua in leadership. And so Joshua is the new leader. And Joshua is to lead Israel now over the Jordan, not just to the edge of Jordan, but they're going over Jordan now into Canaan, into the promised land. And they know because they have sent out spies into the land. They know there are several adversaries. They know that there are going to be difficulties. They know they are people on the other side of Jordan that are filled with pagan idolatry. There's temptation over there. There's warfare that will occur over there. So what does God tell Joshua that he must do? He tells him not hey make sure the soldiers are ready he doesn't say hey make sure you have all the weapons sharp and that everything is good and they're, they're in good shape that's not what he tells him what, what God tells Joshua is this he basically tells him this Joshua make sure that the sword of the word of God is sharp make sure that you know the word he's telling him that law don't let it depart out of thy mouth meditate upon it day and night observe everything that is written in it he says if you'll do that he says i'll guarantee you good success the only place in the king james version that the word success is ever mentioned is right here in joshua 1 and 8 and it's tied to god's word the good success for their life and their welfare of this adventure of going over into canaan that success was tied to god's Word, Amen. Coupled with it. He says, you're going to need to talk about God's word. Joshua, you're going to need to think upon it. You're going to need to meditate upon it. And you're going to need to, here's the big one. You're going to need to do it. You're going to need to practice God's word. And so when we look back then at Jonah and the life of Jonah, the first couple of verses point out to us very plainly. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah. And it was the word of the Lord. That gave Jonah his job description. It was the word of the Lord that gave Jonah his guidance. His duty, Jonah's duty, was derived from the word of the Lord. And so his mission was not his own, 
but it was the Lord's. It gave him guidelines to his particulars concerning his duty, and we'll look at that a little bit later. But nonetheless, we need to see today that his duty was tied to God's word. And there is no more of an honorable duty and obligation than one that is tied to God's word. For that matter, you will find yourself with good success in that duty and in that obligation because it is tied to God's word. The Bible says, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16, he said, Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So Paul told Timothy, he says, if you'll take heed to the doctrine, and if, you, if you'll go up a few verses, you can go up to verse 13 in your own Bibles, and we understand that he admonished Timothy to with reading and exhortation and the doctrine, which we, we assume from what we read in Timothy that that reading was the reading of the law or the first five books of the Bible. Amen. And so he's saying to him, if you'll continue in these type of things, it'll help save you and those that hear you. Here is Jonah in our study today who has received a word from the Lord concerning his obligation and duty to go to Nineveh a wicked city and to proclaim unto them to cry against them really he went as directed by the word of the Lord could Jonah have the same success in Nineveh that it would not only help him but those that would hear him if he would exercise his obligation that he got from God's word Amen. And so he's going to go, and he will eventually, we put that in there, it, it happens, but he will eventually act upon it, and it will help those that hear him. Amen. Here's something important whenever we consider our duty being derived from God's word, and that is this. Our duty as Christians is about doing the Father's will. Amen. Because God makes his will known to us through his word. I know, Brother McGee, this, we're not children here today. Just stay with me. God makes his will known to us through his word. Uh, we've studied on Wednesday nights throughout the Gospel of John uh, at certain times that Jesus was quite uh, intentional about connecting God's will with God's word. That, you know, I don't do anything, he says, except what God would want me to do or tell me to do. That God's will was connected with God's word. And so Jesus oftentimes told them that and was making that connection for them. That his actions, his duty, his obligations was all based upon the will of God. Amen. That was illustrated in his word. And so this is the fact of the matter this morning. To share with people, whenever we share the unmixed word of God, as a preacher or a teacher, when I come up here and share the unmixed word of God, not diluting it, not watering it down, just giving the word as the word. When I share that with you, you know what I'm sharing with you? The will of God for your life. As I share the word of God, I'm sharing the will of God. One of the greatest things that I've ever heard in pastors or as a minister is people always wondering what the will of God is for them. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? Let me give you great confidence today. The will of God for your life is found in the word of God. Well, hold on now. The reason why some people are disconnected from what God's will is for their life is that they've not spent enough time with God's word. Got to take time to get acquainted with the word because in the word is the will. 
in the word is the will for our duties and our obligations. For that matter, we can't have anemic pulpits when it comes to the word of God. We can't have pulpits anemic in the teaching and the preaching of God's word because it will have no direction then for his will for the life of the people. John Butler said it like this. He said, if you keep the word from people, you'll keep people from the will of God. Amen. Now here's the fact concerning Jonah. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah saying, but Jonah much like we do sometimes, didn't always esteem the word of God as highly as he should have. Huh? Nor did he always esteem then the obligation that that word placed upon him as highly as he should have in his life and ministry. And so during those times of not esteeming then God's word or his will or Jonah's own duty and obligation in, in the, the field of playing of all of that, he missed sometimes the will of God for his life. Amen. Someone say amen. In order to do the will of God, you must give priority to the word of God. No, I specifically said Priority. We must give priority to the word of God because a misplaced priority with the word of God, it doesn't mean that you'll never accomplish anything. No, it just simply means you may accomplish everything except what truly matters. Divine things. Amen. Or, listen to me, and this, this whenever I... The light bulb went off my head concerning this just yesterday. Not placing the priority on God's word. It may mean, listen to me very closely. Now, uh, let me say it and then we'll look at why I said what I said. It may mean that there's less time to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. That you've been given a duty. You've been given an obligation by God's word and through his will. But if you don't make it priority and you get to it eventually, you might have less time. Watch me very closely. John chapter, not John, Jonah. Well, I'm going to have to keep the J's straight, aren't I, with two, two series with J's going on. Jonah 3 and verse number 4. This is after Jonah's delay. This is after Jonah's been in the belly of the fish. This is after his trip on the boat. This is after all that. This is whenever he answered his obligation. This is whenever he answered his duty, the will of God, and he shows up to Nineveh. And the Bible says, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, listen to the words of Jonah, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Let me tell you the light bulb that went off in this boy's head whenever I considered this yesterday. I don't know, Brother Terry. Here's what I don't know. I don't know. If God was going to allow 40 days for Nineveh's repentance, even if Jonah showed up earlier. Are you watching me right here? I don't know if it, whatever time Jonah went, it was just going to be 40 days for them to repent. But then I thought, Brother James, but what if they had less days now because Jonah didn't show up? He didn't show up. When he was originally told to go. What if they don't have as many days as they would have had. Because he didn't place priority 
on the word of the Lord that came. That came to him. What if the time he spent running in the opposite direction, the clock was ticking for Nineveh? Do you feel the weight of the gravity then of that whole circumstance if that would happen to be the case? That I, I don't know. I don't know the full time frame of that it took for him to go the opposite direction to Joppa, go down to the boat, how long they were out on the water. We know the three days he was in the fish, but then he was sped out and he had a longer trip to get to Nineveh now because he'd went in the opposite direction to begin with. I don't know how much, and please understand this whenever I say this, I'm not trying to be condescending toward Jonah or the whole circumstance, but I don't know how much time he wasted before he got to his duty. What are you saying? I'm saying I've heard too many times people say, I wish years ago I'd done what I did. I wish years ago I'd got in the house of God. I wish years, you know what they're saying? They're saying now I have, you know, adult from however long, you know, to serve the Lord. They're wishing that they, I'm just saying this morning, I wonder if Nineveh would have had more than 40 days had Jonah showed up when the first decree was given, arise, get to Nineveh and cry it. Amen. So it's important that we place priority up on the word of the Lord. Yes, for our own lives and yes, for all of those that would hear us. It's important. And so whenever we consider this man, Jonah, we consider this man, Jonah, who is the son of Amittai. Jonah's name means dove, right? It means dove, which is a symbol of peace. Even still yet today, it is a symbol of peace. That dove that Noah uh, placed out of the ark to see if the, the waters had receded and it came back a couple times but the last time he sent it out it came back with that olive branch in its mouth which was a symbol of peace that the destruction and everything had allayed and so Jonah's name means dove but what's interesting to me is that Amittai his father's name is means truth of God Jonah's dove or that peaceable kind and Amittai is truth of God and so what I derived just from the placement that Jonah is the, is the son of a mentai, that the dove or that peace is the son of the truth of God. Peace always follows God's truth. I like that. Peace always follows God's truth. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament scripture of Philippians 4 and verse number 7, this is a popular verse. I, I many times like to pray this over people's lives when I know they are just in shambles. The Bible says, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through, everybody say through, through Christ Jesus. The peace of God is through Christ Jesus, who in the gospel of John says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So the peace of God is through the man Christ Jesus, who is the truth. Again, peace following coming to us by means of truth. So Jonah will eventually, later in our study, he will lead with the truth of his duty unto the people of Nineveh. And it will, it will culminate. The final result is it will be peaceable then for the city of Nineveh because their response to the truth that he will bring will be peace upon the city and those that are within the city's limits when he reaches his destination. There will not be destruction, which is what they are destined for right now, but he will go and bring peace through truth because he got his mandate from the word of God. 
He got his mandate from the word of God. This is what the Bible says. Jonah's not just mentioned in the book of Jonah. Jonah's also mentioned in the book of 2 Kings. It just just kind of just flashes like once in the book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25, the Bible states these words. He, it's speaking of the king of Israel at that time, he restored the coast of Israel from entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant. Here he is, debut, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet which was of gath heifer so jonah is ascribed here in the scripture of second kings 14 he's ascribed the label of both servant and prophet it's important and it's in that order he didn't say prophet and servant he said servant and prophet it's almost as though that being a servant was in somewhat of a, a means a qualification to being the prophet that the proof of his prophetic role resided in his servanthood. That how well he could serve as a servant could give him, if you will, power and credence as being the prophet. Because when you talk about a servant, you're talking about someone, of course, sacrificing. You're talking about someone laboring. You're talking about someone operating with humility. But whenever you talk about the role of a prophet, you're talking about a a position and a privilege, a status, if you will, a little higher status among the society. And whenever we look at other places in Scripture concerning the servanthood and status role, we go to the New Testament. And we, we look at the Apostle Paul. He does this in in Titus and, and, and also in First and Second Timothy, we have all those lists that if you desire to be a bishop, here's, here's the list. If you desire to be a deacon, here's the list. If you desire to be an elder, here's the list. Even throws the wives in there too. Here's, here's the list of qualifications. And so Paul, whenever he told Timothy, all these lists of qualifications of being like deacon and, and bishop and elder, if you will, these positions, he says in, in 1 Timothy 3.10, he says, and these things also first be proved. He said, they first be proved. In other words, the proving of the label of the office, whether it be deacon or bishop or elder, it can be found in reality how we're just functioning as a servant. Huh? Here's the question. If they're going to be a leader, ask the question, how did they do when they were a follower? Will they... Lead well, ask the question, did they follow well? Jonah is a true prophet of God, but first and foremost, he's mentioned as the servant of God. But he's a true prophet of God, according to Deuteronomy 18, because if a prophet were to give a word or a saying and the prophecy came true, you said, well, that, then that man's a valid prophet. What he said came to pass. And so Jonah was a true prophet, amen, because the things that he spoke came to pass. And so what Jonah said, particularly right here in 2 Kings 14, verse 25, it came to pass even right here, the giving back of some of the coast of the land of Israel to Israel, it came to pass. He spoke truth, right? He spoke truth, and the source of his duty was truth, the word of God. 
And it came to pass. So it, it, we're not surprised that this thing all fits together. His, main, his mandate came from God's word. Amen. So he's speaking truth and truth comes about. John tells us to sanctify them. You hear this on the Christian radio, don't you, Pat? Sanctify them through thy word or through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. And so his word is truth. But here's the other thing. Not only was Jonah's message right because his source was right, but it was very well fitting for his times. The Bible tells us there in 2 Kings that Jeroboam II uh, was ruler then and that he did everything which was evil in the sight of God, as many of the kings of the Old Testament scripture of that era did. He did that which was evil in the sight of God. And what God had Jonah to prophesy in that time was really all about, watch me and listen carefully, it was all about grace. He was talking to them that the land was going to be restored to them or the coast of Israel wasn't going to be, was going to be restored to them. But this is the reason why it was really a message of grace because Israel was not doing anything. It, it wasn't to any merit of their own. It wasn't because of any activity of good behavior on their own that the land was being restored to them. But God was restoring it to them nonetheless. In other words, they got the land back not because they were serving rightly the Lord at the time, they got the land back because God's a gracious God. And Jonah gave a prophecy and a message of grace unto the Israelites in the land of Israel. What's God doing? God all the way back then was even preparing Jonah for his Nineveh in Jonah. Mm -hmm. Because God is about ready to have Jonah carry another message of grace. But this time it's not to Israel. This time, it's to Nineveh. And here's the fact of the matter. One of the very reasons Jonah did not want to fulfill his obligation, did not want to fulfill his duty, was because he knew all too well about the grace of God that he even exercised with Israel back in 2 Kings. Look what the Bible says, Jonah chapter number 4 and verse 2. This is Jonah crying out unto the Lord. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. That's when he was running in the opposite direction. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. In other words, Jonah said, I knew you was a gracious God. I knew you said you was going to destroy them, but if they would fly right, you would just like clean the slate. I knew you would do that. You did that in 2 Kings. I, I told the Israelites, here's your land back, and they didn't do anything even to deserve it, and I knew you were going to do this. That's the reason why I didn't want to go, because you're a gracious God. But the difference, everybody hear me up today. The difference of the two matters is this. In 2 Kings, God was being gracious to Israel. But in Jonah, God was being gracious to Israel's enemy. In other words, Jonah didn't have a big problem with God being gracious to one of his own. But he had a problem with God being gracious to somebody that he loved as an enemy. And he said, that's the reason why I didn't want to go, God. That's the reason why I didn't want to fulfill my obligation, though it came from the word of God. 
That's the reason why I didn't want to do it. Wait a minute, Jonah. That's not your call. Wait a minute, Jonah. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is just to go, get to Nineveh, cry against it. It's not your responsibility to decide who I'm gracious to and who I'm not. We have a sacred duty. It's not up to me if he wants to save that one, this one, or the other one, or save people in my own family. That's not my call. That's not my decision. But I have a sacred duty today. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It doesn't matter their color. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter their status. I'll leave that decision all up to God. i got to fulfill my sacred duty. I Because here's what I know about me. Here's what I know about this thing called humanity. We're more willing to let ourselves off the hook than we are those who are enemies to us. Grace is a great concept. It's wonderful to receive, but it's harder to extend. To somebody else. Especially when it's an enemy. What are you doing, God? What are you doing? God's stretching Jonah. God's stretching the ministry of Jonah. Jonah, you did well facilitating grace to your own. But how far will you go in being a facilitator to others in need of the same grace? Even your enemies. But the word of the Lord came to him. In this, folks, Jonah really has a huge responsibility that is not responsibility, that too, but opportunity that is set before him. God's given him a God-ordained duty that is filled with such a grand opportunity at the same time. He has the ability to impact the lives of thousands. And let me state today for the record that oftentimes opportunity and Duty go hand in hand. Let me say that again. Opportunity, duty, responsibility, obligation, whatever you want to call it, they go hand in hand. See, here was, here was the, the tragedy with, with Jonah at first spurning his duty. If he spurned his obligation, then he gambled on missing his opportunity. Stay with me here for a moment. Have you ever heard anybody complain about just lack of opportunities? Man, I just don't have opportunities like everybody. If I just had this or that, you know, just lack opportunities, blah, 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 blah. I'm walking carefully here. But if you ever heard somebody lack about opportunities that they had, perhaps it was because that opportunity was cloaked in a practical, unimpressive clothing called duty and obligation. I also want to say amen. Glory, amen. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. That's what the Bible says. That was his duty. That was his, that was his obligation. However, that duty and that obligation, whenever one of the brethren, Hananiah, 
came and Nehemiah asked about how was Jerusalem in the ruins because the city had been burned and torn down and in fire and it was still in ruins and, and, and such and needed to rebuild something pricked inside of Nehemiah's heart. But because of his duty, his obligation, his work, that placed Nehemiah in that king's presence regularly. That's opportunity. Because of his work, whenever Nehemiah sought the welfare of Jerusalem, the access that he had in his work led him to be able to request leave and to help the situation in Jerusalem. That was an opportunity as a result of his work. Even later, whenever he would leave, the king that he served, would provide letters to him to cross certain lands and certain paths on his trip because of his work with the king, in front of the king, serving the king. That king then had connections that would amass material and finances for rebuilding Jerusalem. All of that are some tremendous opportunities, but it was only because it was connected to Nehemiah's duty and obligation. Of being the king's cupbearer. In other words, if he refused to ever be in the king's cupbearer, he would have missed all these opportunities. Our opportunities sometimes are cloaked in our obligations. They're cloaked in our duties. They're cloaked in. You get what I'm saying? I, this is just kind of a side note. It doesn't mean anything. But in my own life, listen. There's a lot of places over the past, this year be 43, there's been a lot of places over the past 43 years of my life I would have never went had it not if I never hearkened to the call of ministry. Being a minister, preaching and ministering and walking through the doors when they're there, I've been a lot of places that I would have never been. A lot of opportunities. It was just because I said yes to the duty. You understand what I'm saying? Just kind of just, just, that's a real practical side, you know, note. But sometimes our opportunities are tied up in all that. And so of all these, of all these opportunities that branched out from Nehemiah's own duty of being the cupbearer to the king, again, being cupbearer may have not, you know, been the most illustrious job that, that Nehemiah had, had thought and hoped for himself. But these opportunities came to him nonetheless because he was a man that served well in his duty and his obligation. Amen. Someone say amen track of time here now here's God 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 really keeps things quite simple the word of the Lord came unto him saying arise go to Nineveh cry against that I mean if you put that on the three-step you know process of here's what I want you to do today I think I could follow it you know what I mean it's not like I wonder what he meant by arise <laughs> right <laughs> Go to Nin I wonder if he really wants me to go to Nineveh or just the suburbs. Of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I think that's a pretty plain and simple plan. God's being very straightforward. Everybody say, I love you, Pastor. You know what complicates simple requests God makes of us? Compromising spirits. It, it, it's it, someone gets, you know, someone's got to get edgy whenever 
the Lord speaks in the New Testament scripture. He tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, Brother Fred, I'm just saying, it's few words. It's not very complicated. I think it's words that we could all say. It's not like a word we never heard. Seems pretty simple, don't it? But un, uh, compromising spirits do this. Lord, who is my neighbor? Take the very plain and the simple and the straightforward. And the compromising spirit says, well, how about that? Does that really mean what it means? Is he really? I don't want to misunderstand you, God. Who, who really is? Who is my neighbor? Folks, that isn't someone willing to work the will of God. That's someone trying to get out of the work and do bare minimum. You can't tell me for one moment that Jonah didn't understand arise, go to Nineveh, and cry against it. No, he was just trying to get out of the work. The Bible says concerning that one, you know, well, who is my neighbor? The Bible says in Luke 10 and verse 29, this is what it said concerning that one, you know, asking this question. But he willing to justify himself. He said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? Ask yourself the next time that you hear the preacher preach something that's very straightforward that the Lord would ask or require of us to do and you try to find the loophole and everything else. Ask yourself, am I trying to justify where I'm at? Little Jonah here. God love his heart. Go to Nineveh. He got the arise part. Go to Nineveh. Now, whenever God says go to Nineveh, Jonah is about 500 to 600 miles. That don't sound like much for us right now. For some of us, it does. We wouldn't want to go on a long trip like that in a car, but he's going by foot. 500 to six mile journey by foot. Now, folks, that's it. I know you drive the truck, Kevin, but I'm talking about you by foot. You got that right. That's not very appealing. On any day of the week. Right? <gasps> Here's the fact though. And boy, I want us to get this in our spirit this morning. Everybody will see Jonah when he arrives. Everybody will hear the message when he's in the city. But nobody's going to see the walk. They'll note it when he arrives. They'll note it when he opens his mouth. But nobody's going to see the walk. But the walk is just as supportive of the message as the message is in and of itself. They're going to see the glory. Oh, man, it'd be great to be Jonah, you know, coming in here, being the voice of the Lord, proclaiming, thus saith the word of the Lord, all the excitement the glory of the moment of him delivering that. Man, that must be great. Wait a minute. You didn't see the 500 to 600 miles that he walked that long distance by himself. There were 500 and 600 miles that preceded all of this that helped fulfill the message. What are you saying? I'm saying without the walk, there's no declaration in Nineveh. Without the walk, there's no proclamation of what the word of the Lord said. Each, listen to me carefully today, each duty, each obligation, every work that God would place on our lives,
requires somewhere in them a portion of it that's a walk. That nobody's going to see. No one will be there to applaud. It will be seemingly by yourself, unknown to everybody else. But all of that, 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 you know, precedes the message or precedes the moment of your obligation is just as much as part of your obligation as the moment it's. You know, it's kind of, if I can do an analogy today, it's somewhat kind of like today, you know, new, newly married couples wanting to start right where their parents are at right now. Right? They want to start right where their parents are financially. They want to start with the, the home that they have, with the cars that they have, with the careers that they have. The moment they get married, they want to start right where their parents are right now. Well, you know, a lot of times in the church, it's no different. People want to land in the lap of apostolic luxury and bypass all the 500 600-mile walks. But the walk is necessary. You ever see somebody preach a conference or a camp meeting or you see anything ever happen? I guarantee you there's a 500 and 600 mile walk that no one seen, no one knew anything about. It was lonesome. But it was just as much as part of the duty as the moment. Amen. So, you know, we understand he was spat out from the fish and he still had a walking portion to do. It's going to get to Nineveh. Nineveh is one of the main cities of Assyria where the seat of government was. A common descriptor of Nineveh. We even have it in the verse that I read to you, verse number two today, that Nineveh was that great city. It was in the past. It was in the present. More than once in Jonah, it's called the great city. Nineveh was burnt, built rather during the days of Nimrod back in Genesis chapter number nine and 10. It was built back in those days. Archaeologists even estimate that Nineveh was about 350 square miles. That's, that's quite massive. It was even bigger than what Babylon was in its day. So it had a lot of landmass, 350 square miles of area. It had approximately to 600,000 to 1 million people. That was within its city limits. The walls around about Nineveh were about, they say, 100 feet high. And they were broad enough or wide enough that they could handle three chariots abreast on the top of the city walls. Nineveh was a great city. But listen to me. The greatness of the city of Nineveh, might I underscore by the world standards, could not compensate for their spiritual lack. They were a great city in the regards of their peers, but they lacked spiritually in the sight of God. Can I want to climb on the roof today and tell us that there's nothing in the world that can compensate for spiritual lack? Your placement in society won't do it. The offices you serve on committees won't do it. Your job won't do it. Your wealth won't do it. The connections you have won't do it. There's nothing in this world that will compensate for spiritual lack. An, uh, another placement in the community won't, won't, won't even out the teeter-totter on that one. There's only one way to get that one square, and that's with God. There's only one way to make that one right, and that. That is why the clarion instruction to Jonah is that he is to cry. This is what the Bible says. Cry against it. What? Cry against Nineveh. 
Now, this is interesting because Jonah wasn't to, to try to make the, the, the message platable. He wasn't trying to make it pleasing to Nineveh. He wasn't trying to go there and, you know, smooth down cowlicks and all this stuff. No, 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 no. He was to cry against it. He was to shake the foundation of the city with his message because they needed to change. There needed to be a reform. They needed to find a place of repentance. I'm sorry today. Yes, I believe in love and kindness, and we have talked about that. I'll talk about both sides of that because it gives balance to the church. But there are some ways, some people, some cities, sometimes in America that we need slapped in the face in order to come to a place of restoration and reform and change and repent people just people work different ways you can sweet talk some people into doing stuff even your children you can sweet talk some into doing things but there's other times you got to get stern with others it's about temperaments and personalities you can hem haul around and suggest and hint and some people will never catch it Others, you just got to be real direct. You know, I, I could go to one of my children and say, you know, the you know, room looks a little messy, you know. Yeah, you know, whatever. You know. And it'll be messy at the end of the day. Or you might just say, that looks a horrid mess. You need to get in there right now and clean it up. Jonah couldn't go, Jonah couldn't go in there on a the little... Little pony and hear the word of the Lord. Now, now, God, God would really like for you all to kind of, you know, kind of lay back on your wickedness. And, you know, you killed 10 last week, just do five this week. Can I tell you something concerning certain things of wickedness and sin? There's certain things that you just can't get less and less with. There's some things you got to cut totally off. You can't just treat it as something very passive that, you know, well, I I'll do less this week. And th there's some things you got to cut totally off. There's some things you got to sever. Oh, I just keep that cancer in my body for a few weeks. We'll take out a little, you know, in three week increment. You can't do that. They want to go in and take it all out because it's going to permeate and affect the whole body. There's some things. Jonas, he said, you got to go in there. You got to cry against it. Jonas, you have to go in there. You're going to have to just speak. Give me just a few more minutes. All right. We missed, we missed two Wednesdays. I'm really trying to catch up. When you read the book of Nahum in the Bible, the book of Nahum is really about Nineveh. The book of Nahum is about Nineveh. Although it was written later than the time of Jonah, it's written about Nineveh. And what we have from even secular accounts, they even confirm that what was true in Nahum's day concerning Nineveh was also true in Jonah's day concerning Nineveh. This is, listen to me, this is the reason why it was so important for Jonah to follow through with his sacred duty. Here's the reason why. Consider the character of Nineveh. Again, this is in Nahum, but all of the reports even secularly say it was the same in Jonah's day. Nahum 3 and verse 1 through 4. I won't hold you much longer. It says, woe to the bloody city. It's talking about Nineveh. It is full of lies and robbery. The prey depart not. 
the noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear, and there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses. There is none in in their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcraft. That's Nineveh. As a matter of fact, one professor says, he was being quoted as saying this. He said, in Nineveh, the pyramids of human heads marked the path of the conqueror in Nineveh. Boys and girls were burnt alive or reserved for a worse fate. Men were impaled or flayed alive, blinded and deprived of hands and feet, ears and noses. That was the condition of the activities of the Ninevites. It's the reason why it was so important for Jonah to follow through with his duty because the Bible says that their wickedness came up before God. And there's two things that you got to contrast real quickly. Character of Nineveh and then think about the character of your God. John Butler said it like this, and I'm closing. You can stand with me. He says, God is infinitely holy. He says, this makes him super sensitive to sin, for the more holy the character, the more sensitive it is to sin. This is something, that, this, this phrase right here stamped my heart. He says, if we can tolerate evil, he says, we are only confessing to a lack of holiness. So we have this greater ability to tolerate evil. Maybe we're not tapped into the holy side enough because Scripture declares that we are to hate what God hates, loathe what he loathes, debase what he debases. So we got the character of Nineveh. We got the character of God. Jonah's being sent as an ambassador of God with a sacred duty to speak the word of the Lord. In the book of Romans, the Bible says that there came a time whenever the people changed the truth of God into a lie folks the sacred duty today of Jonah or whether it be of us individually or of the church the sacred duty of ours is absolutely essential because we live yes we live in a fallen world but a fallen world that's in need of a righteous God he is their only hope he is their only hope and so we learn then the significance of a sacred duty through the life of Jonah. He's asking us to share a message of grace. It's not up to us to whom we share it with. It's up to us to share it. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads all over this place this morning? Father, I come to you today. Master, we need you. God, I pray, oh, Lord, I do not want to take lightly, God, the duty, Lord, that you have, Lord, placed upon our lives and upon our hearts, the word of the Lord that has organized our thoughts and organized our direction, that's been very straightforward, very plain, God, even for our own lives. Help us, God, not to try to become interpreters and decipher or bend or bow it to somehow alter it, to change it, to make it most fitting to justify where we are, who we are, but no, Lord, help us to receive the mandate from heaven as it is, Lord, to follow through, Lord, fluidly, Lord Jesus, with it, God, knowing that there are opportunities that are connected to this duty that our eyes may not even, Lord, see right 
now. God, that our ears may not even hear right now. Help us, Lord, to follow through. God, but there will be times when it seems like we're doing a very lonesome work. There are times it's going to seem like, God, that we're doing a very, Lord, difficult work. God, that no one knows, no one sees, there's no appreciation, so on and so forth. But God, you have called us, Lord, to it. Lord, and the work, the walking is just a part of the ultimate work, Lord, that is to come to fruition. I pray, oh God, it could help us and those, Lord, that would hear us. God, if we stay faithful, Lord, to the word that spoke it to us, God, from the very beginning, help us, Jesus. God, there is a world, there are people, Lord, that are dependent upon this. God, this is, Lord, a great society. I still believe we live in one of the greatest nations of the world, but for all of its greatness, none of that can compensate for a spiritual lack. God, help us, Lord, to balance out the seesaw by being a voice, Lord, of the Spirit in this hour. God, for those that would be in need of it and would hear it and would respond to it. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah. And the church say amen. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Thank you this morning for being with us in the house of the Lord. Amen. Come back tonight at 6. Hallelujah. And we'll allow the rain to come and start making just sloshy mess. But, you know, be careful as you leave today. There's still spots in the parking lot that's slick. It, it kind of, uh, you know, melts a little bit and it refreezes at night. So be careful where you step. Don't want anybody to, to fall lest you can't get up. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.